So, beloved, let us read responsively Lord's Day 39, question and answer 104. What is God's will for you in the fifth commandment? That I show honor, love, and faithfulness to my father and mother and all those in authority over me. Submit myself with proper obedience to all their good teaching and discipline, and also that I be patient with their failings, for by their hand God wills to rule us. And now the scripture reading from 1 Peter chapter 2, 12 through 17. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. And now as well, I'll read for us Exodus chapter 20, verse 12, the fifth commandment itself which says, Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And may he add his blessing to it as we consider it tonight. Well, at this point, as we're making our way through the Heidelberg Catechism here, which is explaining the Ten Commandments, we have come to the second table of the Ten Commandments. We first looked at those first Four commandments which speak about the love which we owe to God as our creator and our redeemer. And the remaining six commandments of the Ten Commandments speak about the love that we owe to our fellow neighbors, other humans. And together these two tables of God's law command us to love the Lord our God and to love our neighbor as ourselves, which is how Jesus summarized all of God's law in those two commandments. Now, why does this second table of God's law begin with this one? Honor your father and your mother. Why does it begin there? Well, the author of the Heidelberg Catechism, Zacharias Ursinus, has some helpful thoughts here. He says this, because it is the foundation cause and bond of obedience to all the other commandments belonging to this second table. For if the obedience can be maintained and enforced, which is due from those who are placed in subjection to their superiors, then will obedience to all the other precepts necessarily follow. In other words, if we were able to perfectly obey this fifth commandment, honoring our father and our mother, and honoring all those in authority over us, then obedience to all the other commandments which follow, well, would consequently be easy, and it would flow naturally from it. It is the foundational 
commandment here for obedience to the rest of the second table is built upon this commandment. And by placing it here at the beginning of the second table of God's commandments, he is showing us how important this commandment is to him, to God himself. Nevertheless, despite the importance that it has before God, and it should have before us, it seems that in our culture that we disregard this commandment perhaps more than any other. We do not live in a culture where honor is shown to superiors, where honor is given to those above us and is promoted and protected. No. Now at this point, we might be thinking if we're parents, right? We might be praying and thinking, Lord, please speak to my children tonight because they don't honor me. And children, it is true. It is true. Listen up. You need to hear this word from God tonight that King Jesus is calling you and telling you, commanding you to honor and to obey your parents, to honor and obey your father and your mother more than you have been. But guess what? Your mom and your dad, they're not off the hook either. They belong to King Jesus too. And he is speaking just as much to all of the adults in this room as he is to the children tonight. And so all of you who are grown-ups, listen up. Tonight, King Jesus is also telling you to honor and to obey all those who are in authority over you in life. This commandment, we see, it's, it's for all of us, all of us. And through it, God is calling us, as Peter says, to honor everyone appropriately, despite their failings and their weaknesses. Now, what if, what if in the midst of our culture, that is so darkened by slander, defamation, and disrespect. What if we shine brightly as a people of honor, as Christians, as a church here in this place? Well, that's what God is asking of, of us tonight, that we would be a people of honor and subjects of King Jesus and his eternal kingdom should promote and protect the honor of all others, even those with whom we have great disagreement. Even those that we strongly disagree with, we should honor and respect them. And why? Why should we honor everyone, even those that we disagree with strongly? Think of this. Think of the gospel. Because the Son of God willingly came and was despised and rejected for our sins. He was dishonored in order to promote and protect our eternal honor before God the Father. We can honor everyone, even when they don't deserve it, because in the gospel, God has so honored us with salvation, even though we did not deserve it at all. Now, to get to the heart of this commandment, uh, we're going to peel back four layers here, following the same outline that Pastor Daniel has been working with these commandments. We begin with the first one, what does this commandment mean? And this will be the longest of those four layers. What does this commandment mean? Well, first of all, God calls us to respectfully obey from our heart all those in authority over us. What's really interesting here in the Exodus passage there in Exodus 20, the Hebrew verb for to honor, to honor, is connected with the Hebrew word for glory. 
And perhaps we've never heard that before. It's quite interesting. This Hebrew word for glory is tied to the idea of weight, weightiness, heavy. So something that is glorious has substance to it. It has weight to it. It's valuable, right? Something glorious, therefore, is worthy of our reverence, of our admiration, our respect in our heart, with our words, and with our actions. We think of God. God is supremely glorious, of great weight and substance in his splendor and majesty. Therefore, he deserves our highest honor. This commandment here, calling us to honor our parents, implies that parents have been given a glory to them, that their children should honor. We actually sang about it not too long ago in that Psalm 8, which says, Yet you have made man a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You've put all things under his feet. What that's speaking of is that God, by his design, has given humans this glorious responsibility of exercising dominion, of ruling over creation, ruling over other people as well. And this ruling, it begins in the household with parents. And so what is the glory of parents? What is the glory of all those in authority over us to which we owe reverence, awe, and Uh, obedience from our heart in our words and our behavior well we find that their glory is in their purpose their authority and the power that god gives to parents and to rulers is for the purpose of promoting good in society good in individuals and the good of human humanity in general in other words they have been tasked parents and also leaders and rulers in the world with this task of cultivating good growth either in one individual and their children or in society and also hindering bad growth in the world and that is a glorious purpose that is worthy of honor and how do they do that well peter in his text he says that they promote human flourishing so rulers kings or others who are governors, etc., they promote human flourishing by doing what? By punishing evil doing and by rewarding those who do good. And we can think of the Roman Empire, which was the context of Peter's day, and how they deterred evil doing in society through punishments, right? With lashings. They would lash criminals publicly and also public executions including the crucifixion and beheading. So just imagine that. You're out in public and you see the Roman soldiers punishing these criminals. And as you see what they're, the punishment that they're taking on, I mean, what, what effect will that have upon you? Well, you? You'll think twice about doing the same kind of evil that they did in order to end up being punished as they were being punished. And so it had that effect. And Peter wants us to see that God has given power and authority to parents and to political rulers for the sake of the common good of mankind by punishing evildoers and rewarding those who do good. And there was a history of the Romans as well, especially in their military, rewarding those uh, men that were very valiant and showed valor and courage in battle. And they were rewarded to promote that kind of good behavior. 
And so we see that despite their flaws and weaknesses, human systems of governance are better than none, far better than the chaos of anarchy where there is no government, no rule. And here Peter notices he doesn't tell us which system of government is best. He doesn't get into that debate. He doesn't enter into that. He just says whatever system of government that you belong to, submit to it trusting that God is using it for the common good of mankind. Now, children, what is the system of government that God has put over you first and foremost? It's your parents, your parents to rule over you. God has put you under their care and protection for your good. Your mom and your dad have the power and authority from God to punish your bad behavior and to reward your good behavior appropriately. And it's almost always, almost always better to have parents than to be an orphan or to be in the foster care system. It is far better to have parents that love you. Why? Because they so care for you that they want to see you become the best version of yourself. And not many people in the world want that for you. And in order to do that, they sometimes must punish you appropriately for your bad behavior when you're acting out and you're disobeying your parents have the right and responsibility before god to punish you appropriately and they should also reward you for good behavior as well promoting that that good growth and so not only disapproving of bad behavior and punishments but also approving and affirming the good growth that is there in a good and proper balance Now, according to the Westminster Larger Catechism, God commands your parents to do this in their care and protection of you, to love, pray for, and bless you, to instruct, counsel, and admonish you, affirming, commending, and rewarding you when you do well, disapproving, reproving, and punishing you when you do bad, and protecting and providing for you all things necessary for your soul and body. And so children, know this, that God has given you a gift. He has given you a present that is far better than toys, clothes, or a smartphone. He's given you your parents that love you and care for you. Your parents are a blessing to you. A blessing to you. Don't throw away God's gift for you. Don't be a fool. I'm speaking from my heart here. Don't be a fool. Proverbs 10.1, it says, A wise son makes a glad father, but a foolish son is a sorrow to his mother. Don't be foolish. Don't give your parents sorrow in life. If you do, think of this, if you do give your parents sorrow, if you disobey them and disrespect them, don't be surprised when you grow up if your children turn around and disrespect you and dishonor you and do not show you respect. Don't be surprised if they bring you great sorrow in the future. As we learn from scripture, you will likely reap what you sow. What you put into the ground when you're sowing with seeds is likely what's going to come up. And so your bad behavior is likely going to come back upon you is what the Proverbs generally tell us. So don't be surprised if your children treat you like garbage if you treat your parents like garbage today think about that respect your parents obey them uplift 
their honor, not just with their lips, but also with your heart. Their job before God is of weighty importance, and they are worthy of your honor. Jesus said in Matthew 15, 8, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. The Lord God requires honor from the heart, not just outward obedience, but you are to revere your parents from your heart. Now, how does honor manifest itself? How does it show itself? Well, just as you you cannot claim to love someone without actions of love to prove it, so too you cannot honor someone without actions of honor that prove it. Honor manifests itself with full obedience to their rules and patience with their weaknesses and their failures. They're not perfect, and so it requires patience as well. Honor them with your heart, your words, your actions. Listen to them. Look at them in their eyes when they are speaking to you. Don't turn your back to them. Don't talk bad about them behind their backs. Don't despise them ever. Respect your father and your mother. Now, adults, the same applies to us in our relationship with governing authorities. Let's think about this together. And that becomes very clear for us in 1 Peter. In his commentary on this passage, John Calvin writes this, Obedience is due to all who rule, because they have been raised to that honor, not by chance, but by God's providence. For many are wont to inquire too scrupulously by what right power has been attained. But we ought to be satisfied with this alone, that power is possessed and exercised. And so Paul, referring to Romans 12 here, cuts off the handle of useless objections when he declares that there is no power but from God. In other words, he's saying it's of no consequence how they have come to power. The fact that they have power means that you are required to honor them. Calvin goes on to explain how the Romans, how they penetrated into Asia and subdued countries through unjust means by tyrannical force. But Peter here doesn't say that they rose to power unjustly. Therefore, you have every right to not obey them. Rather, he says, if a man is in power with authority, it means God's hand has elevated that person to that position. Therefore, you must honor and obey. It is by God's providence, not chance. And look at verse 12. Look verse 12 in our text in 1 Peter 2. One reason why we are to keep our conduct honorable and obey the governing authorities is so that others will see our good deeds and glorify God. Peter didn't come up with this idea. He heard it from Jesus his rabbi, the Messiah, his king, his Lord, when Jesus taught it on the Sermon on the Mount, saying, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So our honorable conduct in humble submission to the governing authorities in God's providence are over us is a good witness to the world. That's what Peter is concerned about here. He's concerned. He doesn't want the Christians to be labeled as rebel rousers in society. No, Christians should support always the peaceful formation and maintenance of good order in society. But someone might object. 
as citizens of God's kingdom, aren't we free from every human institution? Well, yes. That's what Peter says in verse 16. He says we are free. The governments of the world, they may make claims about us, but ultimately Jesus is the one who has laid claim to us. We belong to him, not to this world or any kingdom of this world, but to King Jesus and his kingdom. And in this world, we are free citizens of God's kingdom. But Peter tells us that God has given us freedom not to live for ourselves only. Peter is saying, don't try and use your freedom in Christ as an excuse to disobey the governing authorities. That's exactly what Peter's argument here. Don't try and make that argument. Don't use your freedom as a cover-up for being rude and disrespectful to the current presidents or leaders that God has placed over you with authority. Why? Well, Peter says that although we are free with respect to the world, we are servants of God, slaves of God, he says. We belong to him, and God commands us to subject ourselves to their rule, to obey them and to honor them, to honor them. The limit to our obedience, where is the limit? Where do we draw the limit to where we obey the governing authorities? Well, it is this. When a leader commands us to do something in direct opposition to the law of God. We see one example of this in the life of Peter himself in the book of Acts, where the religious leaders strictly charged Peter not to teach about Jesus and his gospel. And Peter and the apostles disobeyed their orders orders from their superiors saying this, we must obey God rather than men. God had commanded them to preach the gospel of Jesus. Therefore, they had to choose between God's command and the command or the charge of these humans. And they chose to obey God's command rather than men. But most of the time, we are not forced with such a decision. Most of the time, we simply disagree, right? We simply just disagree with the rules or policies of the ruler or the laws of the land. And Peter is saying, even if you disagree, for example, with the current president or the laws of the land, still you are to honor and obey him and his laws. Why? God wants his people to be exemplary citizens in the world. Again, so that others might see our good works and glorify our father in heaven. But won't the world always find fault with good with Christians, perhaps even especially if they're doing good? Won't the world always find fault with us? Yes, of course. But Peter's point here is that we should not give any occasion for slandering Christians to the watching world. Calvin says this. We are bound by God's command to shut up their mouths. How are we to shut up the mouths of the rulers and leaders of the world? Not by protesting, not by being rebel rousers. As Peter tells us here, we are to shut up their mouths by keeping our conduct good and worthy of honor before the watching world. And in 1 Peter 2, verse 17, we find the summary statement where he says, Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. You see, the world should look upon us as Christians and not only see that we fear God and love one another, that should, of course, be central. Fear God and love one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. But they should also see that we honor everyone, 
including those political leaders that we strongly disagree with, people should see that the church of Jesus is an uncommon people of honor and respect. And so we've seen in these ways what this command means. And as I said, that was the longest point. So now our second point is how do we fall short of this? And this answer here that I have in the beginning is adopted from the Westminster Larger Catechism, where it says this, we fail to honor our parents or those placed in in position of authority over us when we neglect our duties toward them, envy them, show contempt of them, rebel against their lawful counsels, commands, and corrections, and when we curse, mock, or slander their name, thereby bringing shame and dishonor upon them and their rule over us. And parents, parents, we know very well from experience when our children dishonor us. We know how it feels. It hurts. It stings. And it breaks our hearts. And you're not crazy for wanting your children to honor you in their hearts, their words, and their actions. They should honor you and obey you. But adults and parents hear this as well. Don't expect your children to honor, respect, and obey you when you dishonor, slander, and rebel against the governing authorities that God has placed over you. So watch your heart, your tongue, and your actions. Let us not be hypocritical here. Don't demand that your children honor you even when they disagree with you. Don't just do that. Show them by example how to honor authority figures in life even when you disagree with them. Lead by example. You know, it shouldn't even need to be said, but it must. How does this apply in American politics today? Well, we must not fall into the hold of shame that we see in the slanderous name-calling of governors or politicians. It happens all the time. Don't make defamatory jokes about them. and Don't willfully disobey the laws of the the land on this or that point just because you disagree with them. Fear God. Honor the president, whomever he or she may be. Honor judges. Honor the police. Honor your boss at work. Honor your elders in the church. As Peter says, honor everyone. Parents, in application of the golden rule which Jesus taught us, do unto your superiors as you would have your children Do unto you. Do you see the logic in that? Do unto your superiors as you would have your children do unto you. Honor them. If you want them, if you want your children to honor you, you should honor those that God has placed over you in his providence. If you don't honor your superiors, then you are giving an easy and legitimate excuse to your children for them to dishonor you. You don't want to give your child the excuse to say, ah, well, why should I honor you, dad? When you all the day long on social media or with your friends are dishonoring the president or other superiors that God has placed over you in life. Don't give your children that excuse. Honor everyone appropriately and leave them a good example to honor you instead of a good excuse to dishonor you. Now, that's how we fail to uphold this commandment. How did Christ fulfill this commandment? 
Well, we think of Christ, our Lord, as a child. Jesus fully obeyed this commandment, the fifth commandment. We are told in Luke chapter 2 that Jesus went down with his parents and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. Wow. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. That's incredible. The very eternal Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, the Lord God himself became a real human boy. And he willingly submitted to the authority of his human parents, Mary and Joseph. Even though Jesus was their superior as their God and creator, he still was submissive to them as a child in their home, under their authority. He came to obey all of God's law. Not just the first table of the law to love God, but also the second table. He loved his neighbors as himself. Jesus honored his father and mother even all the way to his last moments on earth in his earthly ministry and in his life there on the cross. Even when he was in agonizing pain, suffering the full weight of God's wrath and punishment, his heart wanted to see his mother Mary, well taken care of. In his death, Jesus honored his mother. And we read about that in chapter 19 of John's gospel, where he says this, when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved, that is John, standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. Then he said to his disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. What was Jesus doing? Well, he was handing over this responsibility to care for and protect his mother so that even in his death, she would be honored. Also, we find that Jesus was a man of full honor throughout his life with respect to authorities over him. He did not revile the high priest who wrongly accused him of blasphemy, of having a demon. He did not mock the puppet king Herod. He did not show disrespect at all, even to the man who condemned him to die on a cross wrongfully, Pontius Pilate. No, Jesus honored everyone for the Lord's sake in order to obey his father in heaven. And yet, despite that full and perfect obedience to the fifth commandment, his life was cut short. He did not live long and prosper. Why did the promise of the fifth commandment not work for Jesus because there there is a promise there that if you honor your father and mother you will live long in the land that the Lord your God has given you why did that not work out for Jesus it's because Jesus took the full weight of the punishment that we deserve for our disobedience to the fifth commandment Jesus submitted himself not only to his parents and other human institutions But he also submitted himself to the punishment that we deserve for all the times that we have dishonored those in positions of authority over us. He took that for us in our place. When we dishonor and disobey our parents or all governing authorities over us, we deserve to die under God's punishment. That's what we deserve. It is disorderly evil that God should punish And Jesus suffered the punishment of death for us to set us free from sin and death and to make us not only that, not only free, not only forgiven, but also highly honored 
as sons and daughters of the king of heaven, heirs of God's eternal kingdom. He has so honored us even through his death and resurrection. And so because the son of God willingly was despised and rejected for our sins in order to promote and protect our eternal honor before God the Father, we must honor everyone even when they don't deserve it. For in the gospel of God, he has honored us with salvation, even though we did not deserve it. And lastly, and briefly here, how, how, can we command, how can we obey this commandment all the better by the Holy Spirit? Well, we don't like to honor others often because according to our own sinful nature, we are narcissistic fools. We are consumed with ourselves and we do not want to give up our autonomy to others. We think we are smarter and wiser than those who govern us. And our problem is that we keep our thinking on a horizontal plane just here. If this is all to life, if there is no God, if there is no life after death, then might as well, you might as well cast off all restraints, rebel and live how you want. But it isn't. This isn't all that there is. God exists. Jesus proved it through his life, death and resurrection. And he has chosen to rule over you by the hand of your parents and other governing authorities. Don't just think horizontally, think vertically. As Peter tells us in verse 13, we are to subject ourselves to all authorities over us for the Lord's sake, he says. For the Lord's sake, we are to obey. Let's put our obedience to God in the context of our relationship with the Lord, our God. And remember Jesus, last of all. Remember the man of honor. By faith, ask that the Holy Spirit would unite you and all of us all the more to him who through humble submission can now give us that same humility to run through our own hearts, to move our hands and our lips and our conduct, to be honorable in life. For apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. But with Jesus, by his spirit, we can be a shining people of honor. So let us shine with honor through Jesus Christ and by the power of the spirit. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this fifth commandment, which sometimes we neglect or avoid in different ways and for different reasons, Lord. And even tonight, we have not uh, unraveled and discovered together all that is here in this commandment, all that you require of us and all that Christ has done to forgive us and to renew us. But Lord, the seeds that you have given us tonight and placed upon our hearts through the meditation of your word, we ask, O Holy Spirit, that those seeds would take root and that you would give the increase to produce good growth in us, that we would walk out of this place desirous of honoring others all the more. Lord, honoring our parents and honoring other superiors that you have placed over us in life. And in that way, that we might honor and love you. For we do this for your sake, because Jesus has so loved us. We ask this and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.